0: The season of Epiphany is about the manifestation of Jesus in our world. Now, as we've seen the last two weeks, that can look like something very spectacular and also something very theologically deep, if you will. For instance, two weeks ago, we had the Epiphany, the bringing of the gifts from the wise men all the way from the east, To this baby led by a miraculous star put in the sky by God himself. There go those demons again I was talking about last week. We have demons in our microphone system if you didn't hear that last week. but We're going to sanctify them with the word of God and prayer. So it's going to be okay. The spectacular, miraculous star in the sky leading the wise men all the way to a lowly baby, Jesus. And all that that means, that he has kingship, even as a baby, he has power. And last week at the baptism of our Lord, the miraculous and spectacular voice coming down from heaven And the spirit coming down in the form of a dove and the trinity being revealed and Jesus showing himself who he was and all the spectacular sight that must have been with all of its theological depth. Today we have in our gospel reading the wedding at Cana. And what is interesting to me and maybe my favorite part about the narrative of the wedding at Cana is that it goes along with these epiphany narratives, it is spectacular in a sense, a miracle of water turned into something that is not H2O, water turned into wine, and also the theological nature of that, showing the significance of baptism, water sanctified by blood, and the foretelling of the Lord's supper, and Jesus giving his people wine. But my favorite part is not the spectacular nature or even the theological depth. But my favorite part of that story is how Jesus manifests his glory in this world by coming into the everyday lives of his people. Beyond all the spectacular water into wine and the theological depth of what that all means. At the end of the day, the thing that Jesus did at that wedding, was save a bridegroom from embarrassment. He came into the everyday lives of someone and helped them with exactly what they needed at the time that they needed it. That's exactly what our epistle is about as well, is that Christ's grace is manifest in the everyday lives of his people. It begins like this, our reading from Romans 12, having gifts that differ according to the grace that was given us. Let us use them. The grace that was given us. We must recognize that when Jesus comes into the world and manifests his glory, he did not just come 2,000 years ago to do miraculous and spectacular things. He did not just come... To do things that have, by nature, a very deep theological meaning. That is all true. But he came to manifest his glory in our lives. In our bodies, in our souls. Romans 12 begins by talking about how we are a living sacrifice. And our bodies are temples for God and his glory. That we are to live out our lives As ones who have Christ's glory in us. An epiphany is great. Christ comes and reveals himself in glory, but if we never get to that point where he gives that glory to us and shows that glory in our lives, that's what Moses was begging for in the reading from Exodus 33. He needed God's glory, not just out there, but his presence with him if he was going to lead that people. If we never get to that point, we have missed the point of epiphany. And so this reading from Romans 12, it is appropriate for today. It's a lot of, in some ways, practical advice for the Christian. But I would point out this, it begins with God's grace. It begins with his glory in us, working in us as we live in him. And so we can think about this, I think, three different ways. The reading is nice enough and the editors of the ESV, I guess, are nice enough to split this up into three paragraphs for us. We can split this up in three different ways to talk about how Christ's glory, how Christ's grace manifests itself in our everyday lives. And the first is this. It's in our service, however it may be, in the church. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. And then Paul's going to go on a litany or a list of different ways that people serve the church. Now, the first thing to note here about this list is that oftentimes in this case and in other cases, like in his vice list or in his virtue list, when Paul gives lists to people, they are not meant to be a list to give you kind of a, limited number of things where you can fit into these certain boxes or check off these certain things and nothing else, the lists are caused to make you think. He goes on a list so that he he starts just naming ways off in which people serve the church so that you can start to think about not just those ways that you can serve the church, but it's like there's an ellipsis at the end of the list. You can think about other ways you can serve the church, too. That's what the list is meant to do. Just like when he gives vice list, it's so you can think about all the sins that you may commit. Or when he gives virtue list, it's to think about all the good works that you may do. Not just a limited number. It's also not limited in this way, that someone could have multiple jobs on this list. It's also not to say whenever he says ways that you could serve the church that you only you just have to find one thing and then only do that thing and not explore other things that you could also serve the church with. In fact, I would guess that most people end up serving the church in probably more than one way. And you can even see that when he says things about prophecy and teaching there, which are generally jobs of pastors and The pastor, the single pastor, does both things. And so you can see here, and let's maybe go through a little bit of this list to get, as they say, the old noggin' joggin' to think about ways in which you can serve the church. The first one he gives, like we already talked about, is prophecy and teaching. And that is, like I said, something that the pastor is specifically tasked with. You can read Paul's pastoral epistles if you want to know more about that. And this is a good reminder for me that I should work to do my job with zeal. As Christ has manifested his glory, not just in all Christians, but also in me, that this job that Christ has given me, I should do with zeal as Christ did and as he taught his disciples to do. Also, if you are a qualified man, or if you think you might be a qualified man, according to 1 Timothy 3, you can go read that. Prophecy and teaching is also something maybe you could think about as future service in the church. Or maybe if you know someone who is a qualified man, you can also think about encouraging them Toward that task. I also like how Paul goes on in his list and he just says, if service, in our serving. There is sometimes just a general service that happens in the church. The people who I like to say keep the lights on for Sunday morning, the people who show up to the cleaning days, the people who come to the things which maybe no one really thinks about whoever it is, I don't know who it's going to be that's going to help Annie take the trash out to the road. Just the serving in the church. And maybe it seems a little minute or maybe it seems like it's not that important. But Paul says, let us do these things with zeal. Let us do these things with love. Even if it's just general service. The one who exhorts or encourages in his exhortation. Maybe you're the guy or the gal who calls the person that just had surgery to make sure they're okay. Maybe you're the person who calls on the delinquent member who you haven't seen in a while just to check in and see how they're doing and to encourage them in their Christian walk. The one who contributes in his contribution. Maybe God has blessed you that giving a 10% tithe is No problem at all for you. And that is especially generous to the church. Or maybe you're the guy who can even give more than that amount. Or that it's an especially bountiful 10%. And that is also a wonderful gift. An acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Maybe you're the type of person who has no problem showing compassion to the sick and to the lonely and to the downtrodden. It doesn't bother you. It causes you to be cheerful. In fact, you don't struggle with the pride that says this is taking away from me time or this is taking away from my own time as a person. But you enjoy to do acts of mercy for others. And you can think of all sorts of other things, too. Maybe you're a great apologist for the faith or maybe you're. Especially comfortable evangelizing and being a witness for Christ to others. But just think about it. Start the list in your head, add the ellipses and keep going, and think about all the ways in which you can serve the church. And if you need help thinking about it, ask me or talk to others. This is real everyday life, it is how Christ manifests his glory especially in these four walls. God's grace is in you and he certainly has given you gifts and he certainly has a plan and a purpose for you according to his grace. So let us seek that out. Paul continues. Let's move on to the next paragraph. Kind of moving outside of these four walls, if you will. He starts within these four walls because it is important that we have a solid household of faith, that we have our household of faith in order before we think about moving outside of these four walls. That is some good common sense. But he does encourage us to continue to live godly lives, grace filled lives, glory filled lives outside of the church in our everyday Godly lives. He says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. There is so much to talk about here, but let's talk about this one word. First of all, love. What is true Christian love? It is nothing else than the love of God and the love of neighbor. Jesus says the two greatest commandments are these. And if you want to know what that looks like, since we're being very practical and very everyday today, then you can look at the concise list of loving God and loving neighbor. You've all heard of it. It's called the Ten Commandments. And we are lucky as Lutherans to have this book, this small little book called the Small Catechism, where a guy named Luther wrote down the Ten Commandments and then he listed out very practical advice on how to live out all of those Ten Commandments, how to love God and love your neighbor in your everyday life. And so you can pick that up and you can look at some of those things there. You can look at what he says, remembering the Sabbath day is all about, about holding fast to God's word, to love God. You can look at what it means to Honor your father and your mother to live in the ordered relationships that God has given you. All sorts of good practical advice there for what it means for love, Christian love, according to the Bible, to be genuine. And that goes on to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good and love one another in brotherly affection. The other thing I want to point out in this paragraph is the ability... That Paul thinks you have to do this. Now as Lutherans we should of course point out that our good works do not save us. That our loving God and our loving neighbor is not something that we can do perfectly. And it's not anything of course that gets us into heaven. That's grace alone. But we do also point out that that grace alone is the grace that works in us. As Christians, God has given us a new spirit and a new will, and so we do strive to love God and love our neighbor. And notice again the ability that Paul thinks you have for this striving. Do not be slothful in zeal. Outdo one another in showing honor. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. He believes that you should strive with your power and might, with the spirit that God has put in you, to have this kind of love among you. And that is a good thing. Yes, maybe it does hurt a little bit when we recognize we haven't done it. But we repent and we move forward and we strive to do what is good. And you can see then how that plays itself out. We don't have time to talk about all these things in detail. But how Paul continues to encourage these kinds of things. Rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation, being constant in prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, showing hospitality, giving practical, real, everyday life advice for what it means to have the grace of God manifest in your life. And so finally, the third paragraph, first in the church, second in our godly lives outside the church. And finally, in our relationships with every other person, in our relationships with our neighbors. He gives this specific advice for interactions with other people. And this is probably my favorite paragraph because I've read A lot of books on evangelism. I've read a lot of books on revitalization recently. But I think they all pale in comparison to these couple verses. And if you can embody these couple verses in your life, you really don't need any evangelism book. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. He gives real manifest advice about grace, not just in the life of the church, not just in your life, but how to communicate, how to be with other people. How you can show that grace that is manifest in your life to those around you he says when you're persecuted count it a joy so the prophets were persecuted who went before you and the martyrs the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church so if you're persecuted for having faith give a good witness confess christ you have a hope That does not put you to shame. You have the hope of eternal life. It does not matter if you are persecuted. But that is a beautiful chance to witness the faith to others. And when you are around neighbors who are rejoicing. Rejoice with them. Because all good things are given from above. All good things are given from the Father's hand. And if something is truly good. You can rejoice with them. And you can also show them where that rejoicing. And where true rejoicing really comes from. And if they grieve and if they sorrow and if they weep, then weep with them. Sorrow with them, show them why you can grieve, but also grieve as those who have hope. Show them why you can weep, there is a time for weeping, but why you have a hope that doesn't put you to shame. Show them Christian compassion, show them Christian love, Show them Christ for what you have done to the least of these you have done to him and live in harmony with the others the best you can. Just because someone has a different worldview than you, and it is so common today to have so many variety of worldviews that you might encounter today, thanks to the Internet. That does not give you the right to cancel someone just because we live in a canceled culture. People are the way they are for a reason. And most of all, that reason is sin. And that's the way that you are the way you are, too. And the only answer to sin is the saving gospel. The saving gospel that has saved you and the saving gospel that can also save them. And so even if they want to cancel you, you don't have to cancel them. Strive to live in harmony with them. Don't be so prideful in thinking that you have something they could never have. For Christ shed his blood for the whole world. And that saving gospel, that saving gospel of Jesus Christ, born to take on our sin, manifests his glory among us, gone to the cross died with our sin, raised again to give us new life, that gospel is the gospel that has come into your real bodily everyday life. And that grace and that gospel was not just manifest 2,000 years ago when he walked around on the ground of Cana, turning water into wine, but it is now manifest in your body and your soul. As you walk around on this ground of olive branch and wherever you walk and you can show that to others too. And so may that grace continue to be manifest in your life. May that kind of grace that forgives your sin and leads you to a new life in Christ be manifest in your life and may that glory which Christ has brought continue to lead you to the good works that he has prepared before you. To him be all the honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. We stand to sing the offertory together.